Welcome to This Is Real Life with Jen Blossom, where we talk all things that make us most uncomfortable, from abuse to addiction and trauma to recovery, nothing is off limits. My guests and I will expose the parts of ourselves that hold the most pain and share the freedom that is possible. This is Real Life. Carly, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. I think this is my very first time recording without having somebody next to me, like in my room. Um, And so it's weird because we can't hang out and like be next to each other because of this whole coronavirus thing. So it's super, it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's our new norm for the time being. I know. Isn't this, it's like, it's literally the weirdest thing in the entire world. I don't even know how to describe it. It's just weird. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, Okay. Well, anyways, Carly and I know each other. She was a neighbor of mine. And when we first met, she had, um, you had just had Gabrielle, Gabriella. Yes. Um, But you already had Mackenzie and Mackenzie was, oh gosh, I think she was... Well, the same, is she a year younger than Addie? So she. Around two years old. Yeah. Cause Addie was just turned three, which is crazy. I can't even believe that Addie used to be three. Right. I mean, so weird that they used to be so little. Um, and you had moved from, so I remember just going to the park with you and hearing that you had moved from New York. You used to live there. Tell us a little bit about, um, that experience. So yeah, I, I moved to New York, um, in 09 for this glamorous sex in the city type of job. Yes, girl. Yes. And um, then I got pregnant and, uh, you know, it wasn't as glamorous um, being pregnant. And um, I had all kinds of things wrong with me with my pregnancy. You name it. I had it wrong with me. Like what? Like what? What does that mean? Like I had, um, I was at a peri, um, was it perientologist every Every like week, I had um, placenta privia. I had um, the umbilical cord detached. Um, She was like, they didn't know if she was going to grow. I had a placenta abruption at 11 weeks. Um, I was bleeding the whole time I was pregnant. I had, I'm a, um, what is it? A negative, RH negative. So I was trying to like, kill off the baby. So oh they had shots and, um, then she, uh, was going to come early. And so they had to give me, um, steroid injections because I didn't have any amniotic fluid and then they were going to keep me in the hospital, but I ended up only staying for a couple days. And then they tried to get me at 37 weeks and they, we were successful with that by being on laying on my left side for three months. Oh my gosh. Wait, was your pregnancy with your second the same? No, not, I didn't have anything wrong with me. It was perfect. Weird. And that's one thing I've really learned. Everybody said, aren't you afraid? I know we haven't gotten into Mackenzie's story yet, but people would say, aren't you afraid to have another child after everything you went through with your first? But the doctor always told me that just because you had a bad pregnancy the first time, it could be completely different the second. 
And thank goodness I, you know, wasn't afraid because my second one was perfect. And I was so much, I was four years older too, or three years older. How long were you married when you got pregnant the first time with, with Mackenzie? Um, I'd say, uh, gosh, I don't even know, two, two years, a year and a half. Yeah. Um, and then wait, and what were you doing for work? Cause you were, you said you were, you were all fancy in New York. Yeah. I was working as a brand manager for a company called Moroccan oil. And it was like the beginning of, uh, of their successes. And, um, so I would go into celebrity salons and I would talk with them and then editors would come in, the celebrities would come in and get their hair done and they'd use our feature our products. And then editors from all over the world would come in. Um, Wait, I, I like love Moroccan oil. What was that? I said, I love Moroccan oil. Right? It's amazing. It's so and good. They're such good people too. Oh company. my gosh, that's amazing. So I have to assume you had to stop working because you were in the hospital and stuff. Yeah, actually, they were really supportive. So I was able to work from home and everything. But um, oh, that's nice. Yeah. So, I so okay. So, so was your um, labor typical with Mackenzie? Was my what? I'm sorry. Your labor. Um, no. So I had no amniotic fluid. So it was an emergency. Um, it was an emergency uh, C-section with her. At 37 weeks? At 37 weeks. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. And how'd that go? Um, it went good. And they said everything was fine. And, um, you know, she was healthy. And um, it wasn't until two months, until she was about two months old, that I started realizing something wasn't right with her. And what Which did is, you, and so what are the, like, so what did you, what do you mean by that? Something wasn't right with her. So the type of congenital heart defect that she was born with, um, you actually don't, see any symptoms until about two months because it's with the arteries. So the arteries are like the size of floss and everything's so tiny, you know, the heart is tiny and they weren't doing the, um, oxygen tests back in 2011. So when she was born, right. So now it's, it's a lot easier to know if there's a, um, heart condition or not, but then, Right. So she, she, so the story is about your firstborn and all of the trials that you've been through trying to get her help and, and healthy. Um, were they not able to see the heart defect in any sort of, um, ultrasounds? Yeah, they, it's, it was too small. So they weren't, can you, the heart... can you turn your phone on silent? Yeah. Sorry. sorry. I, I don't know how to do it off my computer. <laughs> I like, sorry. Okay. That's okay. Um, Real life so, people. So yeah, um, they, it, the, everything is too small to be able to. Um, Interesting. Detect, I guess mm-hmm. in uterus, so that's why they weren't able to see anything. Got it. Oh yeah. my gosh. Okay, so two months in, what did you notice? Like, what was what were what was um, like? What were the signs that there was something wrong that you knew? The signs were, um, she was sweating, which I thought was really strange. And, and people kept telling me I was dressing her too warm. Um, especially the doctor, I, they thought I was a paranoid first time mom. Um, cause I was constantly coming in paying that $35 copay asking, should she be doing this? Should she be doing that? It seems so strange. I don't, I've never had a kid though. So I don't know. And, um, 
Another thing was she had a cough and it was uh, actually similar to what they're saying now with the coronavirus, like a dry cough. And it just seems so strange for a baby to cough. Um, and then she was swollen in the face, but everybody said she was just getting chubby and it was cute. Um, and uh, she would always have her tongue sticking out and um, she'd make this like grunting noise. But we thought it was she was frustrated because she couldn't use words yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of people just made it sound like, you know, these things are just normal, um, you know, uh, things that happen with babies. There's a lot of explanations, I feel like, that moms would give me or doctors would tell me. So I, I wish I would have gotten a second opinion, but I kept going to the pediatrician and he kept saying, oh, that's normal, that's normal. Um, and so how did, when did you, when did you find out that this wasn't exactly normal? So I, after taking to her to the doctor so many times and the doctor saying she, he, she's fine. Um, I actually came out to California to visit my parents and she got some sort of cold on the airplane and she actually threw up on the airplane and she was, um, probably, I think she was five months at this point. And oh, by the way, I, to back up, my grandmother, who had eight children of her own and 17 grandchildren, I, she came out for my daughter, for Mackenzie's baptism at, when she was two months old, when I first started seeing those symptoms. And she was with Mackenzie and met her probably for two minutes and heard the cough. And she goes, that's not normal. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so strange. Everybody was telling me it was normal, except for my grandma. And she said, you need to take her to the doctor and find out what that, what that is. But I always thought that was just so profound because she knew and everybody else just dismissed it. But um, so five months, I took her on the airplane. She threw up. She got like this upper respiratory issue. So I took her to the doctor and the doctor said, um, she's, you know, she's got an upper respiratory infection. Here's some amoxicillin. So I gave her the amoxicillin. Now, usually when you're done with the amoxicillin, your kid's good. Well, she still was bad. So then they gave her a stronger dose of amoxicillin. So it seemed like two months that she had been on amoxicillin. So then we got to mid-February and I had a nanny for her. And the nanny was sending me pictures while I was working in um, New York City. And we lived outside the city about 45 minutes outside. And um, she kept sending me these pictures of Mackenzie just being lethargic at six months old, um, you know, dark circles under her eyes, just sitting in the boppy, not wanting to play or do anything. So um, I, I remember I got on, it was late February and I had a break in work and I was on Facebook and I saw this mom's story about she never gave up on answers for her child. And it's just kind of one of those things like women raising women up or like mom's supporting each other, you know, I, I read it and I thought, you know what, why do I keep listening to this one doctor? I need to go somewhere else. So then it was a Friday night and I came home. I got home late, like seven o'clock. And my husband, John had told me that the baby Mackenzie had been asleep since like three. And I thought it was really strange for a baby to sleep for right. after nap and never wake up like till seven thirty at night. So then um, the next, I, she cried all night and I held her. I, literally, my knees were like buckling because I couldn't, couldn't even walk the next day because I was standing up the whole night. And then so, I took so her. So you woke her up. What was that? 
So you did wake her up? Yeah. No, she ended up waking up screaming, crying. Got it. Got it. Got it. Which I later found out she was having a massive heart attack and mini heart attacks the whole night. So thankfully I did help hold her and I didn't just leave her in the crib. Um, and then, and then Saturday, the next day I took her back to her doctor, the same doctor. And he said, she's fine. And I, you know, all week and several times been to him. And then the next day I said, it was the same thing all night long up screaming, crying, like nothing, nursing didn't help nothing. And, um, again, you know, moms were like other first time moms are like, Oh, my kid does that too. when they're teething or they're this, that still trying to figure it all out. And then I decided to take her to an urgent, um, care center for children. And they told me she had a upper respiratory issue in her nose. So they said, go to the doctor sometime next week. So then I came home and I still felt like it wasn't enough. So then, um, that, so then Sunday morning, she was really, really bad. And I had been up Friday night, Saturday night. And I told John, I said, we have to go to the doctor again. So I called my pediatrician again. He said, okay, come in, come over to my house. Let me look at her again. He looked at her and he said, I, I did not, she did not look like, like, like this three days ago. Her stomach was inverted on one side and then coming up on the other, bloated on the other. Um, which was her, one of her lungs had collapsed oh my and God. then her diaper, there was a stripe of orangish yellow or reddish orange um, stripe mm-hmm. in her diaper, which is kidney issues. Mm-hmm. And she was, you know, screaming, crying. And so he told us to go to not the hospital nearby, but a pediatric hospital towards New York city. So we went there Um and uh, he didn't put panic or fear in us. So we, we actually almost went home to grab like some, you know, you always need all that stuff with babies to so go home and get more stuff because we figured we'd be, be at an ER for a long time. And we showed up to the ER and um, they checked us right in and we probably waited five minutes and they brought us in and it was literally like something from Grey's Anatomy. Every single doctor left the bedrooms, I mean, the uh, rooms of all the other patients and came in. There was probably nine doctors around Mackenzie. And they're asking me a million questions. Did she swallow something? What did she eat? I mean, throwing questions like crazy, trying to figure things out. Right. And um, then they basically just, it was a blur. They just pushed me out of the room. I don't even know how I got out of the room. And they put me in this little, it was five feet by five feet square room, John and I, and had a whiteboard and started drawing stuff and saying, okay, it's two things. It's either this or it's this. And then a doctor came in and said, we need you. Um, You know, we, we need to, she's, she's not doing well. And they took the doctor out. They wouldn't let us in and they put her on life support. Um, she wasn't breathing, so she went into cardiac arrest in the ER. Um, and oh my God, they, are you like freaking out? Like, what? Like, are is the is she cr- I, like? I mean, I don't know like, anything that's going on really because I'm. They just put me in this room, and I I'm like, what? I I was so 
I mean, this is probably like way too personal, but it got to the point. I mean, I had this lady holding my hand that I don't even know a counselor from there. And I literally just lost control. Like I peed my pants. Like I didn't even have any control over my body. Like I didn't know what was happening. Where's my kid? What's going on? Um, The doctors are like still with their charts. They're not in the room. And he comes back and he's like, well, I'm like, what is she doing right now? What is she okay? Like I was starting to realize this was like really serious. Yeah. And, um, he said, well, uh, we put her on life support because her heart needs to rest. Her heart is the size of a four-year-old. They actually had gotten an x-ray um, when we first got there. And um, they said her heart's about the size of a four-year-old and is ready to burst out of her chest. Oh, my God. And um, so she either has an infection in her heart or she has something called Alcapa. And that's an acronym for a congenital heart defect. And uh, they said, we're going to all get together. We're going to try to figure this out while her heart is resting. So, um, I mean, is, there was John, really, is like John being a big support? Like, is your parents, like, I guess you're by yourself. Your parents are here, right? I mean, yeah, but my, my in-laws were there and, oh. um, yeah, they were freaking out. John was like on the ground, hysterically crying. I was right. still trying this to is your baby. This is like, yeah, this is your, how old is she now? Six and point? a half months old. Jeez. Yeah. So then, um, when I really realized it was real or serious is when there was kids with, with like, with no hair, they obviously had cancer. One girl had these dark circles on her eyes. She was probably nine and you could tell she was, you know, not in good shape and the doctors all left her and they went to Mackenzie and I thought, Oh, "Oh, okay. Like if they're leaving her, then this is definitely serious. Yeah. So then um, they took us up to the um, NICU and um, they basically put it, put me in like the waiting room for five hours. And then they opened the curtain and she probably had, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the picture that I've shared on Facebook, but she, probably, Oh yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. She probably had over 20 tubes inside yeah. of her. Um, how was that seeing that? How how was that seeing that as a mom? Oh gosh. I mean, it's all now it's almost like when you go through something traumatic, you almost take it out of your mind. And it's hard for me to even remember seeing her like that. I know. I can't even imagine. You must've been in so much shock. Yes. And I, sometimes when I hear working with the children's heart foundation and and other um, parents that will reach out to me and say, you know, their kid has to have open heart surgery, or I hear from somebody that they know someone, I always think, gosh, how can they do, how can they go through that? And then it's almost like, wait, you went through this, but even more traumatic, but you, you just, with time, you know, you, you almost block that out in a way. I mean, I'll never forget, but at the same time, it seems so long ago. Because I'm I'm blessed and she's, you know, doing great. But this anesthesiologist that was working with her, he came up to me when I got to the NICU and um, I'll never forget this. And I was crying and I just, I kind of, I didn't want to be with John. I didn't want to be with anybody. I just kind of wanted to be alone. And I, I um, was in the waiting room and he said, he came up to me and he had tears running down his face and he said, 
Carly, I went to school for days like this. This is why I became an anesthesiologist. I, I'm away from my family because of, because I want to save babies like I just did today. And, and I, he said, this is one of the happiest days of my life. And I said, how can this be one of the happiest days of your life? And I was hysterically crying. He said, one day she's going to, he, he, he was really confident she was going to be okay. But, you know, they always prepare you for the worst too. So I, it was, I would hear one thing and then he seemed confident, but he said, one day you're going to look back on this and you're going to see why it was the greatest day of your life. And I did not understand that at all. He said for his whole team to actually be in that room or, or right on that floor when she went into cardiac arrest is amazing. He said it was around lunchtime. So he said, you know, half of my team could have been at lunch in the cafeteria on the other side of the hospital or someone could have been sick that day. But the fact that my whole team was all there and we all worked so well together, we were able to save her is, is amazing. Um, that's incredible. What a beautiful story. I know. So, so, so like, what does recovery look like for something like this? Like, how do you treat this? So, well, as far as, okay, so they did the open heart surgery and then she was on several medications and then with time, the heart is a muscle. So, um, it was able, because she was so young, it was able to repair. Although if, if it was someone elderly, or older, the heart wouldn't repair like hers did. Got it. Um, But she was, she was taken off each year. She'd be taken off another medication. Um, I think she's still on aspirin as a regimen, but um, she was taken off her last medication that I had to get from a compounding pharmacist um, a year and a half ago. And, um, well, that was amazing. It, it felt so good. And she was also released to play sports about a year oh ago. Gosh, because so. She was never able to do that before. So, okay. So did she, so she had her open heart surgery and then she was on medication for a long time. Um, and, and, but then what and, did life look like when you like, like how, how long was she in the hospital? Like, what did it look like when you guys came home? So it, she was in the hospital for two and a half weeks and that's like amazing. I mean, basically with her, Everything from the minute we got into the hospital was the best case scenario. Her body, her body responded so well to everything. It was the doctors were were calling her McMiracle. Um, mm-hmm. I see, I see. That's where we get the name, huh? Yeah, actually, one of John's friends um, made it up, but then the whole hospital started calling her that because they couldn't believe how well her body took to this. So she lost 40% of her heart function and she's regained all of it. And, um, so after, so the, the really, the critical part people think is open heart surgery, but actually it's the time after the 48 hours after open heart surgery because okay. you have an ECMO machine and it kind of, if you have to go on that, you can't, if you can't breathe on your own without the ECMO machine, then you can't live. So, um, and they don't know if you can, if a child will, or an adult, they just take you off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that was really critical. The open heart surgery, she did amazing. She had seven blood transfusions during the, 
open heart surgery. Oh my gosh. Um, I know. And I think it was a little bit more than they had intended, but I, I remember that. And they, it was a long surgery. Um, and they came out and gave us updates. And she had a team of two surgeons. Um, Dr. Parnell teaches at NYU and he's very well known. So we were lucky to be in such a great area with, with great surgeons. And, um, and so then it was recovery. And with a baby, it's different because she was nursing. So she couldn't leave until she would take a bottle. And I, since I had been home with her, even working, she wouldn't take a bottle. So they were feeding her, um, the, the nannies were feeding her, um, what is that cereal that you feed, you know, that, right, that powder, the powder cereal. Yeah. So she wouldn't take a bottle at all. So we were struggling, the nurses and all of us trying to get her to take a bottle. And I couldn't, I didn't have any more milk after going through that. Right. Well, jeez, um, Louise. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so then taking her out of the hospital, it was scary. I wanted to put her in a bubble. I didn't even want to drive her home. I was like scared to death. Yeah. And there's that, so many like that sort of like crazy trauma time, like you, it's like all hands on deck, like major adrenaline running and all that stuff. And then I would feel like now what, right? Like I would be so overly sensitive. I would feel like to a child who had just gone through something like, like a near death experience like that, you know? Yeah. And it was hard. It was hard because I'd already, it was almost like you prepare yourself for the worst. I had already had in my head, like, I'm never going back to that house. I never want to see her room. And then, and then the, the girl, so I got to know a lot of the parents, like if any, you know, if she didn't make it and I got to know a lot of the parents in the PQ, cause yeah. we, the moms, cause we were sitting there together, you know, um, each night, every, yeah. every hour of every day praying for our kids. And the day Mackenzie got out, the mom I became the closest with, her child passed away the same day. I know, in the room next door to Mackenzie. So coming home was rough because I kept thinking, like, why did my girls, why did my baby survive and hers didn't? And then we went to, I went to her funeral. The little girl, she was three. Um, Her funeral like two days after I brought Mackenzie home. Oh my gosh. And so that was, that was really hard. And then it was hard to adjust at first. Um, and just, you know, trying to be calm and I was, I got like crazy. Like I had to play a certain music and everything had to be just right. And, um, luckily I, I took some time off of work. So I got to be home with her for about a month. And, um, during that time, I mean, she had the, she still had the zipper line where, where the stitches through it. So yeah. she had a neck, like you don't really see babies. I feel like with necks, but she had this long neck and she started eating so well. And it was amazing to realize how sick she really was because mm. she was eating so much more food. She was laughing more. She was breathing better. Oh and it made gosh. me realize how sick she was. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting point. I didn't really think about you probably didn't even really know her personality because she was in so much distress for so, you know, her first six months of life. Right. I mean, now you're finally like getting to know her without the pain and right. 
Yes. And you know how everybody says, okay, don't, don't wash all the baby clothes because your baby's going to grow so fast or not even going to wear a newborn or, or three month old or whatever. Um, all the different sizes. She was in the same size forever. Mm. And all of a sudden when I brought her home, it was like she started growing out of clothes and just flourishing really. That's amazing. So, okay. So then you brought her home and you kind of probably had to go through an entire, I don't know, uh, relearning how to mom, I guess, like, or learning how to mom. I mean, I didn't have, I didn't have a child. I guess what I'm trying to say is being a new mom is hard enough on its own with a healthy child, right? Like just having a healthy child is hard. I can't imagine going through all of this within the first six months. And then now you're bringing home your child who has got all of this. I mean, not bad. I, I guess baggage sounds well, bad. Yeah, like, you're right. I had, I had now medications to give like three times a day. We had an occupational therapist that came in and a physical therapist that came in because she was late on crawling because she couldn't be on her chest. Right. Um, you know, all, yeah, it was like trying to manage all managing, that. I mean, just managing anyone with a medical, um, issue is, is hard enough, but like it's a baby and the baby can't tell you, right? Like, Hey mom, my heart hurts today. Or Hey mom, I'm having a hard time breathing. Like she can't tell you that. So like, I would assume you'd be hypersensitive to all things, right? Like, I mean, what about these parents who are having, I mean, this stuff doesn't stop when, pandemics, you know, start. So like, how would you be parenting in a time of coronavirus, a little newborn or a six month old who just got out of open heart surgery? Oh my gosh, Jen, I've been thinking about those parents that maybe they had the heart surgery lined up right now and they need blood transfusions and we're low on blood donations. And I think about yeah, having your child right now, because I'm stressed right now with the coronavirus with her at eight and a half years old. Like I can't imagine just getting out of the hospital. Um, I would be, I, I feel for those parents. I, I don't know what that would be like. It would be so much more stress because I wanted to leave New York because of winters. I thought I don't want her to be in the winters and the flu season and then being cold and with her heart, like she should live somewhere warm and sunny. That was a big reason why I moved back uh, to California. Um, this is kind of off topic, but how then were you able to parent your second child? Because that, I mean, Mackenzie and all the health issues, like I would assume would be consuming. Like, how do you, like, I feel like I'd be a helicopter parent for that child, you know? Well, I have been called a helicopter parent. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to deny that. But Um, you know what? It's interesting though, because I don't feel like when I like, when, you know, you had just had the baby, you didn't, it didn't feel that way. Like, I felt like you were able to really kind of let, like, Mackenzie, like, fall down and, like, you know, like, I feel like I would be extra sensitive. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I think it has a lot to do with personality, too, because I do know a lot of moms that um, have po- uh, post-traumatic stress disorder from yes. their child going through this. Yes. Um, I had a lot of fears in the beginning. I mean, I was actually freaking out about when she's in high school and people try to get her to, you know, try drinking or something like that. Like her heart mm-hmm. can't handle this stuff. And I started 
getting really wrapped up in the future. How long will mm-hmm. she live? Is she going to have a normal life? I started researching who it was a, it's a rather new surgery that she had. So who's the oldest living with it? I wanted to find them. I wanted to ask them a million questions. And then I, the doctor said, you know what, Carly, you could get in a car accident tomorrow and you guys all die. Like this, you That's have to live for today. And I started thinking about that and it's, it's true. And so, I mean, I try to keep her obviously like right now we're, we're really homebound and I'm trying to keep her away from everybody. Uh, but at the same time, I've, yeah, she has to be a kid too. And, um, she's, she's been repaired. I'm lucky that this might be a one surgery type of congenital heart defect. Um, it might not be that she still has a leaky valve and she does have some issues, but, um, for the most part, like I'm, I'm hoping that she never has another heart surgery again. I don't yeah, know. You know what? For everybody who's listening, she is the most, I mean, typically uh, her personality, she is funny. She is running around. I mean, there's no, you would never look at her and think, oh, this happened to her when she was younger. Like she is full of energy, full of life. Lovely, lovely little girl. Yes. And you bring up a good point. I feel like congenital heart defects are something where a kid doesn't look sick, but could be sick. Um, and yeah, Mackenzie, I mean, Mackenzie's not sick. She's, she's doing great, but she has more energy, um, than any eight year old I've ever met in my life. Like I, I <laughs> that's probably I don't know. survive. Yeah, maybe. Um, so, okay. So then how was it for you? Where's your stance? I hope this isn't like, I didn't prep you on this, but like, so like, what's your stance then on like vaccines? Are you, are you a pro-vaxxer or anti-vaxxer? I am a, uh, definitely into the vaccines because I had, I don't have a choice. I mean, I didn't have it. I didn't have a choice when she went in for heart, uh, heart surgery. They told me, they said, we're giving her a flu shot. We're giving her this. She has to have these before we do open heart surgery. Um, and then it was kind of like when I started asking questions, all the doctors were like, one, actually her, her pediatrician now told me that there was a parent that didn't do the flu vaccine. I think the flu is the most important for heart kids. Okay. And, um, the child actually ended up in the hospital. So she said, you know, you want to get the flu shots. We always get the flu shot. I don't know much about the, the new vaccine for coronavirus, if that comes out. Mm -hmm. Um, but as far as the vaccines that are out now, yes, I, I vaccinate her and I worry about when she's not, when she's around people that aren't vaccinated because she could, right? what, What was that? I said she's high risk, right? I mean, I would assume. Yeah, yeah she's high risk. That I'll, that would be. So how are you? Uh, so, I mean, I think right now with the coronavirus and stuff, we're all a little bit like nervous. Like, I, I guess at the same time though, I'm kind of like, if I, I can, I could see myself being more crazy if I did have a child who was compromised in some way. Um you know, like right now we do wear masks. Actually, my kids haven't left the house, but like I do if I have to go to the grocery store or whatever. Um, what other things are you doing? Like what, you know, just to keep it safe, you know, like what are additional things that you do as a mom? Well, I called her cardiologist 
three times already since in the last month. Got it. Um, just, you know, talking, asking him about the, um, uh, what is it? Hydroxy, uh, chloroquine, if she could take that, cause it, the president kept saying people with heart conditions can't take it. Okay. So just in case, so I know if she can take it or not. Um, she also takes aspirin and there's been talk that, that ibuprofen isn't good, um, to be taking right now. So I definitely had a lot of questions, but I, the Children's Heart Foundation, they've had a doctor on podcast or not podcast, uh, webinars. And I've been listening and, um, but everything's so new with this coronavirus, they don't really know, you know, how, if they're at more high risk or not. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely keeping her in. Um, I'm keeping her away from other kids. Um, I've been giving her zinc and making sure she goes to bed on time. Um, you know, trying to do everything I can. She has a cough right now and it's, it scared me. Um, mm. but I didn't take her into the pediatrician cause I thought I don't want to expose her. Um, it's yeah, it's been, it's scary for sure. I mean, it's scary enough having kids that, you know, are ha- just, just be, you know, just being is hard right now. Enjoy. We can't enjoy all the things that we fear, you know, um, I guess, um, is the hardest part. So you are pretty involved in, um, the American Heart Association or what is it called? Yeah, no, you're right. I've been working with the American Heart Association recently because they do a lot of education and awareness in elementary schools and junior highs, high schools. Um, so I, I, I do like that organization. Um, and they fund for, um, for education and research, for new heart surgeries as well. Uh, and prior to that, I was working with the Children's Heart Foundation. Got it. And um, with them, I started the Orange County Congenital Heart Walk, which we did for four years. Yep. And mm-hmm. another heart dad and my husband at um, in Orange County at the Irvine Regional Park. We would do it every year. I remember McMiracle. That was like Mackenzie McMiracle. Yeah. Remember? I remember that. That's so cool. Yeah, we raised um, over two hundred fifty thousand dollars in four years um, for the Children's Heart Foundation, or for okay. the Congenital Heart Walk Foundation. And what does that money go to? It goes uh, research John Hopkins for new heart surgeries, life saving heart surgeries like the one Mackenzie had. That's um, the type of surgery Mackenzie had has only been, I think, thirty years. Uh, they've been wow. doing that surgery. Um, the doctor said. The, the type she has only affects one in 330,000. Oh my the gosh. Yeah. But there's over 40 different types of congenital heart defects and hole in the heart is a very common one. Um, Do we know what causes so, this? No, they've never, they, they don't know. That is so insane. I know. So, Do you have any stats you can share with us? Sure. One in 100 babies are born with a congenital heart defect. Um, hoping those numbers go down now that they do this, um, the pulse oxygen, um, test when the baby's born. Mm-hmm. And it seems like such a simple test. I can't believe they never done it. You know, they hadn't done it prior to 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's, that's a big one for me. One in a hundred. It's a number one birth defect in America. Wow. 
And you don't even hear about it when you're pregnant. And how do these parents end up finding out about this if they're not taking that test right when they're born? Look for the symptoms. And that's why I love, um, you know, talking with you and talking with other people to let them know about the the symptoms that Mackenzie had, because I know you don't want to scare people, but it's always nice. If I would have just had a conversation with another heart mom, I'm sure I would have known right away. Um, but you know, the, the swelling, the face changing colors, like green, green was around her, uh, mouth area towards the last day. She was losing her color, swollen eyes, sweating. Um, these are all cardiac issues, upper respiratory issues. Um, and you just don't think about heart attacks and babies. Yeah, no, I I think that that's why it's so important to have you on right now because I think that, and that's what, right, just raising awareness to all things because if we can just be educated and like, let's say someone's listening to this and their neighbor's baby is having these symptoms, like how much better would that child have to live a healthy um, life if the parents could get them in and get them treatment, you know, as soon as possible. And you know what? I wanted to applaud you because... I believe that as parents, we are our child's, we need to be our child's biggest advocate. And I didn't stop. You kept going. You kept finding the answers and, and you are an advocate. You are, you know, are always out there trying to raise awareness. And I just love that about you. I love your fighting spirit. I think that's where Mackenzie gets it from. (laughs) Yeah. I think that um, it's really important to never give up on our, on our kids, like on answers for them. And, um, you know, I'm not like that with myself and I'm, I'm generally pretty laid back when it comes to health and I, there's just something I, it's your mom tuition, your parent intuition. I know John had it too, that something wasn't right. Yeah. And you, you can't, you, your gut um, tells you and you have to follow that. And That's second amazing. opinion, you know, I always thought I was so smart going to one pediatrician that would know my child really well. And I interviewed pediatricians and, you know, for my first child. And I thought I was, that was like the smart thing to do. And looking back, I should have been in a group and seen all the different doctors so that I got different opinions. Mm. And that's one thing I did with Gabriella with my second, I made sure we went to a, a pediatric, um, office that had multiple doctors. I never, I don't always see the same one because Mm -hmm. then I get different opinions. Some are, you know, some doctors are more conservative than others. And, um, I think it brings a nice balance where if I would have hadn't gone to a private practice, maybe another pediatrician would have noticed the symptoms. Yeah. I mean, you know what? It's a good point. Doctors are people, <laughs> right? Exactly. And they can make mistakes. So I think it's a really good point to like have multiple opinions, multiple people seeing your, your kids and even you, right? I mean, I think that's a great idea. And you know what? I also wanted to thank you because you're so open and I remember just meeting you and you just being so um, vulnerable and telling me all of this. And it was super cool. Um, we'll, we'll end with this. Um, there was a mom that Addison played soccer on her daughter's team. And we, so we played soccer and she told me like she was pregnant and it's so exciting. And she said that they had found a, a heart defect in the, in the baby. And it was so cool because I was like, oh my gosh, 
I can, I know someone and I was able to hook you guys up and how cool that you guys got to befriend each other over something that is so traumatic. Um, and yet she, she kind of already had a community because you paved the way. And I just thought that that's, that's what this, this is all about. That's what stories are all about. So I wanted to thank you for that too. And I think it's really great that Mackenzie is a hope uh, for so many heart kids and heart parents because they see how great she's doing and it offers hope because you hear all the sad endings mm. and we need some happy endings. And so I love reaching out to heart parents and sharing her story. That's amazing. So thanks for um, setting us up. Yeah, yeah, you can follow Carly on um, social media. Yeah? Yeah. Instagram. Oh, at- Instagram, um, at, uh, sorry, um, at real estate by Carly Paganis and, um, and on Facebook, just Carly Paganis. C-A-R-L-Y-P-A-G-A-N-A-S. That's right. Well, I appreciate you. Is there anything, any one last thing you would say if someone was listening and they had just found out their child um, was suffering from a heart defect or is going through this or has gone through it? Is there anything you would say? I would say have hope and faith because I was in in the same place and um, I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And, um, and look at me, you know, eight and a half years later and she's running around and normal kid and doing great. So, um, there are happy endings, um, and just, just got to have faith and, and just, if your if your child has, you know, symptoms, you could just go see a doctor, or, um, get a second opinion. That's great advice. I love it. Um, Carly, you're amazing. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to share this experience. I hope that it touches people and that we were able to raise awareness and um, some education around um, heart defects in children. Definitely. And thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. All right, pretty lady. I'm going to stop recording right now, but I still want to talk to you. Okay. All right. Thanks.